Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I am your host, Mary Catherine Ham, here with Vic Mattis of the Free Beacon and the Sub Beacon Podcast, which you should check out on Patreon and get the more PG-13 R-rated version of Vic. Thank you uh, very much, Mary Catherine. In fact, we do a bonus episode, so so it's not for it's not for the cheapskates. You have to you have to subscribe on Patreon for that one. And we just we're getting into a thing where we're doing old movies. We just need to find pegs for them. And one of them is like if an old movie comes back onto Netflix or Amazon and it's something accessible to our listeners, then we'll revisit. So we'll revisit a movie. We just revisited Wild Things. Oh well, that that's... wonderful movie with Matt Dillon and uh, Denise Richards and Nev Campbell. Yeah, is quite of... something. There's a lot of lot of Vic interests in it. A, a lot of yeah, as I said, she uh, Neff Campbell. She went from party of five to party of three, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very interesting, and it's it's the kind of movie that they can't make now. No, I'm just gonna leave it at that. No. Anyway, uh, other than that, other than that, I do want to say that I have uh, a real sense. I have a sense of accomplishment, a feeling of. A- accomplishment okay and it has nothing to do with deadlines or with christmas shopping but rather i finally finished get back the beatles documentary yes um i said it was kind of a heartfelt at the end i don't know you feel like after you've been with them for you know it feels like i've been with them for months you know a weeks and and then when it finally comes to an end and it, it, it it culminates in that rooftop concert you're like oh it's the end uh, I yes, I felt, I felt newly sad about the Beatles having broken up. Yes, okay, in, exactly. In the, in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty one. I w- yes, I wish they did an epilogue for everybody, and that would have been interesting. And then now I get to talk about it in full with a lot of our friends. Uh, our good friend Andy Ferguson was asking me if I enjoyed the part where Linda Eastman's daughter was, yes. uh, you know, in the recording studio screaming. And she sounded as good as Yoko. <laughs> Better even. Yes. Give that girl right. an, give that girl a contract. That, that, um, that's, that's right. How 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 about you? Uh, so well, I I finished Get Back a little bit before you did. I I enjoyed seeing is it Heather Heather McCartney? She was later adopted by Paul yes. in the studio. He was very sweet with her, very enthusiastic yes. as as a dad, which was sweet to see. I'm sure some of the guys maybe who didn't have kids yet were like, what are we, what are we doing? Yeah, I was thinking about George Harrison sort of being like, <laughs> just try to get this. And then I really enjoyed the incredibly understated British reaction in the streets. Oh, it's so very British. It's so wonderful. Just hilarious. Like half of them saying this is a little too loud. Even the ones who were enthusiastic are like, it's the Beatles. Those, the, the English mugs and English, uh, and English, accents particularly the working class accents when they say do you know who's do you know who that is and you and they would say it's the beatles <laughs> beatles and that's you know that's the, the working class accent and though everybody was dressed so nicely oh, i mean yes. it's, it's savile row i get it but still that's people are just so proper back you know then. and and probably our beatles nerds in the audience will let me know i would like to know more about the constable the 22-year-old looking constable who co- yes. who comes into the lobby insists that he's going to start making arrests if they don't quit this. Yeah, <laughs> and he's so fresh-faced. He's got to be new on the job. He looks and like here he is. from Veep. Yeah, <laughs> he does. And here he is trying to break up 
the last per- the last live performance of the Beatles. Unwittingly, ever. I looked into it. You're in luck, Mary Catherine. His name is Ray Dag, which yes. is just a D A G G. Ray Dag. He was 19. Oh, I knew he must have been like straight out of Academy. Do they do that in Britain? I don't know. Bobby and Academy. A Bobby school, like like. <laughs> and I'm sure it's much better than Police Academy parts one through six. It's just you know it's 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 more proper. And he's alive, and he just did an interview uh, this month with oh, some I of the it. papers talking about how he he didn't think about it at the time, and 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 you know he was glad it was resolved peacefully. And but he was he doesn't feel bad at all that he you know that he brought to an end the very last Beatles concert. He sort of with a shrug. And I read in one of the um, publications. Uh, that he personally did not own uh, any Beatles albums. He was a Simon and Garfunkel fan. Ah, I see. He had beef. No, this is, he was just doing his job, Vic. You know who else did their jobs, Ray? (laughs) 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 He just, uh, it's, it's such a funny part to have in this piece of history. And he's, he's got a lot of FaceTime. Oh, and because they put the secret camera in the lot in the foyer. Yes. And he's, he's dismayed, dismayed at 19 years old that they would disturb the peace and the and the business of this area in this fashion. Yeah, well, uh, Savile Row. So I, I can see how they're responsive to it. But, you know, and, and, and you know, it's but just also proper. And I love that. And really very, very briefly to go back to what you were saying about Heather, later on, Heather uh, McCartney being there, yeah, the, the, the daughter, Linda's daughter. Right, and she looked about like what's, six or seven ish. Yeah. And the way they, the way they sort of reacted to her and like Paul, of course, is very loving. If Ringo is funny yes. as well with her. Um, you would imagine Ringo being good with kids just in general. Yes, exactly. And, and, and I think, and John, John treated her the way he treated his own son, Julian, which is like, not at all. Right. So, sorry <laughs> for bad. He was terrible. He was terrible to Julian. Okay. Uh, you know, I do. I do think this is something that uh, re-looking at this kind of history can can bring to the fore. Is I liked seeing a little bit more about Billy Preston, who is the yes. keyboard player. Who I think you get you got to believe that um, that Peter Jackson, the the director of this, was excited when he came upon two or three shots of Billy Preston playing on the rooftop because Billy Preston is not in those shots, but he's an integral part of this. Peter Jackson he has to be watching this footage. Like, I don't want to leave him out of this story. And he was in the story in the, in the recording studio, but he's live on the roof with the Beatles. And he, that, that keyboard part, take it out of those songs. You need that keyboard part. And he unfailingly, every time he delivers. Uh, so forget back and don't, don't bring me down. Don't let me down. Yeah. One of them is the other song. Don't uh, let me down. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's just, you know, uh, it's just, fa- it, he, he, any song he adds to it, and he's playing the electric piano. And you're right. You really don't see, there's like just a couple shots of him, right. including when the police show up. And he's just doing his thing on the side. But I, 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 did, I did imagine that he, um, Peter Jackson would have been disappointed had the only uh, black member of this recording session not gotten his due. Because really, I mean, he's a huge part of this he concert. He really was essential to that. He was the fifth Beatle there. And it, it, it also changed, you know, I love the reaction from the street when they, when they hear noises coming from arena, they don't see them, but they hear them performing. And one of the interesting things is for me, I was around 14 when I saw the YouTube video where the streets have no name. And if anyone, it's, for a lot of younger people, they have no idea what I'm talking about. But in that video, Look it up on YouTube, kiddos. Yeah, you'll look it up. They perform 
on the roof of a, a convenience store in Los Angeles in a dangerous part of town. And it's a whole thing about them, you know, trying to get away with playing as many songs as possible until the, putting on this live performance until the police show up and they bring LA down, you know what I mean? It's to a standstill. And clearly now it, I understand what the whole point of that was. And I'm not going to say they ripped it off. Clearly it was their homage. It's homage, homage, right. Much, but also, it changes it for me because when I was 14, I'm like, this is amazing. Like no one's it, ever done this before. I think it's also interesting to see what amounts to a viral moment before there was any way of making something viral, right? Yeah. So they, they just go up on the roof. It's the biggest band in the entire world. They go up on the roof. They haven't performed live together in years. Yeah. And suddenly people start climbing up on rooftops because word is getting around. But back in the day, you know, that means making a phone call on a corded phone and or running down the street to tell your friend. It was, it was, this was no Twitter moment. No, I mean, you know, again, there's nobody on their, nobody on their phones. They're just there and listening and in and being in the moment. And we don't do that anymore. We're no longer in the moment. We're recording the moment. And sometimes yes. I find myself. In this, I mean, I'm sure you find yourself in the same thing where, you know, you're recording uh, your child's performance somewhere and you're not actually in it anymore because you're yep. holding the darn phone. And my my kids dark. make fun of me for being on my phone. So I always get reminded. They're like, we're not allowed to have phones, but look at you. Look at you, woman. I'm like, thanks. Okay. I deserve it. I deserve it. Anyway, a really, a, a, a sad, a sort of a, a, a nostalgic sort of poignant ending to our get back journey. It, but it, I have enjoyed listening to the Beatles more than I have in a long oh, time. It's been I so much get it out of my head. Yeah. Uh, what, is, what else is going on with you? Well, we have an <laughs> issue in this house, which is um, possibly bath foaming bubbles related. As you know, we had the uh, incident with a bubble bath. Yes. Where the foaming uh, Epsom salts were mistaken for regular Epsom salts. And we had a little, had a little, uh, overzealous bubbling going on. Well, <laughs> we have, we've been experimenting with the amount of foaming bath that makes a reasonable amount of bubbles in there. And we're sort of, it's very hard to get under control. So to be fair to my husband who sort of overflowed the tub with bubbles, it's tough. It's very foamy. <laughs> so uh, last night after my, my husband took a bath, as I said, he proudly enjoys and uh, he's, he's not, not ashamed of it one bit. Lights that candle and enjoys himself. He's there for what, like half an hour, an hour? Yeah, I mean, just a soak to, for, he lifts a lot of weights, Vic, as you know. And so he has to soak those muscles. Well, afterwards, after he takes his bath, we're downstairs sitting at the kitchen table. And, uh, and I look at the centerpiece of the kitchen table. And I'm like, there's some water in there. Oh, no. You got to be kidding me. Wait, there's a lot of water in there. And there's about a, I'd say an eighth of an inch worth of water that has come through clearly from the tub, which is above Love. this light fixture and centerpiece on the dining room table and filled the little centerpiece, uh, at least to some degree. And we have never seen the like of this before. And now, of course, that's a, that's a pretty serious problem. So lights off in the dining room table area there will be no electricity in there for now uh because these two things do not mix as you know i'm no scientist but i know that and steve says no expense will be spared to get this tub back online 
question is, is it happening because water is overflowing out of the tub onto the floor or is it a pipe related issue? No, I think it's it's a deeper issue. It oh. we have not had any overflowing out of the tub. Okay, I mean, that's that would be that would be beyond irresponsible. Yeah. We have not yeah, we have not gotten there. Easier to deal with. Yeah. We haven't it's gotten there. That yes, that would be the easier problem. That's not what's going on. But it is fun because I get to blame him because of the baths, and he's blaming me because of the foaming bubbles. He's like, the foaming bubbles make it impossible for me to see the height of the water. <laughs> it's. Yeah, no, I think we know who's responsible. It's not you. <laughs> I imagine the moment when you see the water on the table and in the, in the centerpiece and you look, and then all of a sudden you look up. Yep. It's is, is yeah. like a scene in Silence of the Lambs, you know, in the body in the elevator. And yes. all of a sudden, it's like the blood dropping onto the gurney. And then they look slowly up and then they see where it is. I feel like it's the same thing. You just, you just replayed it. That was beautiful. <laughs> Terrifying. Thank you. So yeah, we will we when we have that problem on our plate. Merry Christmas to us. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> these things you know, happen. Lots this of people like, are having lots of problems these days, though. Yes, it's a this is a this is a manageable problem. So Unlike, we will manage it and apparently we will we will pay for for uh for quick plumber service to get this thing ready for Steve. That's good. So, well, we have to talk about the news today. And first, most important in the news today, we must talk about Ben Affleck. <laughs> look, I don't, I don't make the rules. Yeah, look, Ben and and his two gins, both of whom I like, both of whom I like a lot. But look, I don't make the rules. We got to talk about Ben because I'm part of the 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 society of women with a normal girl idolizing of Jennifer Garner. She of chestnut ponytail, no makeup, and relatable Instagramming. I love her. She is our queen. <laughs> she is, seems like a normal mom, raised in West Virginia, loves her parents, works on literacy for rural Appalachia. Oh. Be still my heart, this woman. She also, I, she uh, played saxophone. She was a marching band nerd, apparently. She was a dancer yeah. as, a, as a young woman. But apparently she was a marching band nerd, as was I. She played saxophone on Instagram in a marching band uniform for Reese Witherspoon's birthday. I challenge you to find a more relatable Hollywood star than that business right there. That is so hot. I'm just going to say that. She's enormously tall, isn't she? Well, I mean, tall and insanely beautiful with no work done and no makeup. So like, you know, she's not a normal girl, but she feels like one to me. Okay. And that's, that's, what's important about Jennifer Garner. So Jennifer Garner is the uh, ex-wife of Ben Affleck. That's right. They were married from 2005 to about, I believe 2015. They just, they separated 2018. The divorce was finalized. They had three children together. I think the youngest of which is now. I don't know, between eight and 10 ish, something like that. And Ben Affleck, who is now with back with Jennifer Lopez after many years to whom he was engaged at one point, he's back with Jennifer Lopez again, like her too, not as relatable because those abs are ridiculous, but a lovely, strong woman. Uh, So strong. She can hold on to a pole with one arm. Look, I'm, I'm on record applauding that performance i'm like look if you can do that in your 50s go for it and also in the movie hustlers which i which i highly recommend that was very entertaining 
So Ben Affleck talked to Howard Stern this week. Yes. And that conversation turned to his marriage to Jennifer Garner. And in that conversation, he said some things that ticked off the internet and ticked off me. Look, sometimes the internet is wrong. This time the internet is right. And look, I, I, I don't even have anything against Ben Affleck because Jennifer Garner is so gracious that she says nobody needs to hate him for her, but I would be willing to, okay? I'd be willing to, and for this reason. You don't give him the benefit of the doubt that they misinterpreted what he said and they sort of edited it out for context what he said that being married to her forced him to drink because he felt trapped. Well, this is, okay, first I'll read the quotes. Yes. So these are, these are the ones that take people off. It's part of why I started drinking because I was trapped. He says, and he says if, if they were still married, that he would likely still be drinking. And look, I think in that long conversation, he said other things about Jennifer Garner in that marriage that were nicer. Yes. However, this is like a politician, say, I don't know, the last president of the United States who says a lot of normal things in a com- in a speech, but then says a couple of and egregious things. And the egregious things, the egregious things do not disappear because you said the nice things. Okay. Well, I was thinking, you know, when I read those quotes, I said, you know, well, who among us hasn't felt trapped? No, no, no. I'm I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. It's not the 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 finishing off the bottle of scotch. He mentions that, and that's pretty considerable. I yeah. Think. So he said, he said it was a, you know, it was a marriage that, w- that wasn't working and his solution was to drink a bottle of scotch and fall asleep on the couch. And it turned out that solution doesn't work. Uh, right? and, like- I mean, that, that was his quote. He also said, um, this happens and somebody that I love and respect, but to whom I shouldn't be married any longer. Ultimately we tried, we tried because we had kids. Both of us felt like we don't want this to be the model that our kids see of marriage. Those are all sort of normal Ish. sentiments. It yeah. was the I'd probably still be drinking if I were trapped in this relationship part that rankles people. I'd, I'd like to know what kind of scotch he was drinking. That's the, that's, that's my main concern. You know what? That is the important part of the story. Um, you have that kind of money. What are you drinking? I don't know. I, I don't know. He's drinking apparently a bottle a, a day, maybe. So that's scotch. I mean, that's considerable. Now, one of the reasons people are really ticked off is because Jennifer, Aff- Jennifer, formerly Jennifer Garner was very supportive of him during his recovery. In fact, I think drove him to rehab uh, post divorce. That's right. And I thought, because I am in the cult of Jennifer Garner, that maybe I was misremembering how gracious she had been to him in interviews yes, in the past. But- I thought, okay, maybe she's trashed him and I just like edited out. So I looked back at the sort of famous Vanity Fair piece on her that came out about a year after they broke up. They were not yet fully divorced, but they were separated. Let me read you the quote on the subject of Ben Affleck allegedly stooping the nanny. Okay. Remember that came out shortly afterwards? Oh, okay. Fine. Go ahead. Okay. Let me just tell you something, Garner says. We had been separated for months before I ever heard about the nanny. She had nothing to do with our decision to divorce. She was not part of the equation. Bad judgment? Yes. It's not great for your kids for a nanny to disappear from their lives. I have had conversations about the meaning of scandal with my children. But like, she goes on to say, like, we needed to work together on this. And that's her answer for the nanny situation, which she could have lit him up. And she's like, it was a couple months after, and that wasn't part of the decision. I'd like to know what the nanny's deal was. (laughs) 
Sorry. I would say it in a different way on that on the other podcast, but this is a, this is a family friendly one. So I'm just like, yeah, what's what's her deal? Uh, how old is she? Where is she from? Uh, Etc. Do you remember, for example, remember Arnold Schwarzenegger? Remember, you know, he had he had a son with uh, the uh, the housekeeper yes. nanny. Uh, she was she was like an older. She was she was she was not exactly you know like young attractive woman at the time but right. you know Arnold just does, does what Arnold does you know and uh, and and, and inescapable know. yeah the so pull of Arnold yeah you know so it does I guess it didn't matter for him but it sort of amazed me because you know these people they can be with anyone they want there's they're so famous and attractive and, and you know but it does remind you about the uh, the strains of uh of Hollywood on what you'd like to think of as a normal uh, traditional family life and you can't have it you go on these hollywood location shoots you know for god knows how long and whatever happens on those shoots it's just it's not normal it's like musicians rock musicians you go on well, tour at a at a 10-year marriage they had like a by by hollywood standards that's that's a yeah. that's the gold anniversary at that point right it, it, is, <laughs> it is and you know when he was single i'm sure you know and then with you know hang with matt damon and all uh you know that's that's living large I, yeah. And I'm like, you know, why do they ever want to, why would they ever want to end the party until you're ready to? Because when you do, you, you, that's that you can't, you cannot have both. You just cannot have both. She says, and, and actually Jennifer Garner, because she is a pretty, her parents are married 50 years. Uh, she says it's very painful for, for her that she has been divorced. Yeah. She's been divorced twice. She had a starter marriage when she was younger um, really? to her co-star on, um, on Felicity. Yeah. Oh, to Scott Foley for a couple of years. Oh, and, wow. uh, so she said, she said in that Vanity Fair article, it's painful for her. It's something I believe in so strongly. I've completely failed at twice. And then she takes some responsibility for hers and Ben Affleck's breakup. This is my point. This is my point. Ben Affleck needs not only the, the AA, but he needs media training from his ex-wife, who also said, it's not Ben's job to make me happy. The main thing is these kids, and we're completely in line with what we hope for them. She, wow. I mean. Yeah, she's a class act. She really is. And my closing argument. Yes. Let's see argument about this. When given the opportunity to burn it down over his just travesty of a back piece tattoo that he got shortly after they broke up, which is a full color Phoenix rising from the ashes and is <laughs> heinous. It is very bad very very bad i said it wasn't like chinese characters or something it, and she says she says you know what we would say in my hometown about that bless his heart a phoenix rising from the ashes am i the ashes in this scenario i take umbrage i refuse to be the ashes oh wow I, I mean, like Team Jennifer Garner. I know. All you, day. I, I, again, it fascinates me because you know you have somebody like Jennifer Garner. Don't you think that you would have to? Well, it's all about ego. But you know, for other people, I think other guys would be like, "Yeah, I'd make that work. I'd make that." A great wife, I'd fantastic wife. You never know all the details. I think it's very likely that Jennifer Lopez is a better match for him, and I good. wish everybody the best. But like, just just don't talk about it that way. He actually wow. clarified a bit and said, look, I don't, don't just, I said a lot of nice things too. He probably misspoke a bit. Team Jennifer. Well, say, uh, ben Affleck is a great director. 
but 13 going on 30 is a great movie. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Number one in your book, Overdue. Oh, she had me. She's also very good. She has a little cameo appearance on uh, uh, Catch Me If You Can, the Spielberg movie with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Tom and Tom Hanks. She plays uh, a call girl. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I, I miss Jennifer Garner as an yeah. action star. Just in, she's very talented. She's, she's great. Ali, Alias is where I fell in love with her. I think she's fantastic. In case you couldn't tell, guys, you should follow her Instagram. It's it's very relatable and fun. She has a fake cooking show. I really enjoy it. Wow. I was going to say, doesn't she also do some Christian movies? Uh, she does yeah, movies with a message. Also, also maybe do I like her because she went from like ingenue to mom roles? during the same span of life that I, that I did in my own life. Parallel lives. Perhaps that, yeah, we, we have a lot in common. Yeah. <laughs> She's unabashedly brunette. That's right. Always has been. That's not, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Vic, I hate to bring this news to you as well. Build Back Better might be dead. BBB. R.I.P. B.B.B. Yeah, I think Build Back Better is dead forever. And let me tell you why. Because Joe Manchin has said he's not going to vote for a bill that will add to the deficit. Well, if you do away with the budget gimmicks, Build Back Better, according to the CBO, adds $3 trillion to the deficit. He doesn't want to vote for a bill that makes inflation worse. Oh, well, you know, sometimes in life you only get two of the three $2 trillion bills you want passed in one year when you have a bare majority of the House and the Senate. Yeah. Sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles, Vic. Imagine that. Yeah. So build back better. If you guys remember, this is, you know, yay Congress talk. There were two giant bills. One was the infrastructure bill that was bipartisan, had passed the Senate, eventually passed the House. The other was the Build Back Better, which at one point was $3.5 trillion, has been shaved down to a little under $2 trillion. Doesn't really exist, hasn't been drafted, really, in any, right? And in the, no, in, they in could, the traditional they, sense. Yeah, but, but, you know, again, as, as, as the Speaker of the House had famously said, about a different bill, you really need to pass it in order to understand what's <laughs> you in really it. You really do. Which didn't sense that, you know. It's, it's the, the idea that they don't know what's in it yet, but let's, just, you know, so who's inserting what and where? <laughs> that, that, sounds, that is the question. Nick. That not that always the question? That's always the question, really, for, for me. And they just, you know, they can't ignore. They want to ignore inflation. They, they have done everything in their power to downplay it. And I understand that not every American is going to be completely brushed up on their macroeconomics, but... You ask anybody, they're personally seeing inflation affect them, even though they tried to spin it as inflation is either ginned up by the Republicans or that it only affects rich people like Jen Psaki's line about the treadmills and stuff like that. Right. Um, but people are experiencing inflation. The polls indicate that. And if you told them that you're going to be pumping even trillions of dollars into the economy in the current circumstances they would probably think that's bad for inflation in that this right. is not just a momentary inflation that that it's going to be here for a while. So it clear, they clearly must, they clearly seen the polls. I think it's very interesting that this is a, you know, 
put in the back burner. Is that what they're going to say? Well, is that and, how they're putting yes. It? So it could become zombie build back better right now. It seems to be off the table for, for this year, for sure. Mm-hmm. But then you get into an election year and bringing this up again in an election year would be tougher. Let's rewind back to when these bills were supposed to be linked and Biden went to the Hill way back in October to do his magic. He's going to do his bipartisan Biden magic. He went to the Hill and came back with nothing. The progressives had said these two bills need to move together or else nothing. And he went down there to convince them of what we're not sure nothing happened. And I said at the time, it seemed like you're losing quite a bit of momentum here. I'm not sure that this flies. That's right. And so then they get the easier one done, which is the infrastructure bill. And this is the progressives worst nightmare. This is what was exactly what the squad didn't want was that mansion and cinema, the more moderate folks get the infrastructure bill, which is the one that they wanted and the one that they're worried about gets left behind and that the squad wanted. This is the one that the squad wanted and cheered for. And here we are with it dying the death that they predicted. But look, again, and I hate, I, I just oh. like the media coverage of this, which is like mansions standing yeah. in the way. Of- they think it's just one white male senator. Yeah. Is that how democracy works, Vic? Now, look, the, the framing I- of this is like, look, it's it, this is the third $2 trillion bill in a calendar year, calendar year, folks. They don't have giant majorities. They have very, very, very slim margins. Again, the fact that you've gotten two giant bills is something. Remember, this was supposed to be Biden's FDR LBJ moment, right? This is going to be the biggest thing since Great Society, the New Deal. The original, I think the original was maybe six trillion, brought down to three and a half, oh and then ultimately God. brought down to uh, 1.7. But again, you know, LBJ had something like 69 senators in the Senate and at over 100 plus Democrats in the House margin. And Biden has a 50-50 Senate with uh, the vice president as the tiebreaker. And the, the, and maybe the, the, argument, the, the argument for this bill hasn't been made. They say that the polling the, the polling was very positive. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's like it's just like we are going to do a giant bill. It will do good things, which is, I'm always suspicious of that message. And then they got ticked off when the giant price tag became a problem. Even though that was how they were selling the bill. Yeah. And in the end, first of all, I'm ideologically inclined against such a bill. So just, you know, rack and stack my assessment the way you wish, audience. I'm also more inclined to agree with Joe Manchin on a lot of things. But to me, his insistence that you actually include the honest costs of this bill in the bill is the right side of history, folks. Yes, if you are going to do a 10-year program... Don't count it for five years so that the right. bill looks cheaper because you know you're going to keep doing this. That's right. Versus the argument of it's already paid for. It's free. Everything is free. We're just going to have a lot more money. Everybody gets it's it's a win win. What could possibly go wrong? So I, I would like to see what happens in the next year between now and next November. What do they do? I'm curious what the squad and the, the progressives make about this total failure by their own leadership to push this uh, through the media. Everybody, you know was pushing hard for this. And well, from now what I've heard, Vic, Nancy Pelosi is a master legislator. Okay. Yes, that's right. And nothing less. Yeah. That might've been said only a couple hundred times. 
but many, uh, many times. Yeah, you know she. You know you don't mess with her. She's a veteran of the. She knows the ins and outs, and she's uh, going to make this happen. And uh, and just trust in her, except for not right now. Yeah. So exactly. now I guess they're going to vote. Focus on things like voting rights. Is that correct? I think that's that's the next move. Yeah. Which next move. again, you right. need sixty votes for that. For the what is essentially a, a federal takeover of election law, which would be a giant departure from what we've done in the past, and I guess the argument's easier to make. It, it would give you a nice, it's a nice election year chance for Democrats to just say, "Look at these racists." Lots of other there's, there's so many things that are, uh, you know, voters have a lot of concerns between now and November. And they can talk about voting rights, and they can also talk about uh, expanding the Supreme Court. So that'll be good. They're very popular <laughs> right now. And, you know, all the way at the bottom, all the way at the bottom of voters' concerns, I think, is the economy and inflation. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I don't want to hear anything about that. that. By yeah. the way, uh, uh, kudos to uh, to our based billionaire, Elon Musk, who, who tweeted at... <laughs> Oh, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren this week saying yeah. that he was arguing against the idea that he hasn't paid taxes like I've paid more taxes than most people uh it's a huge price tag don't spend it all in one place oh whoops you already did that's right that happened after our last show I guess where he called her it did and said please don't call the manager on me so now it's a burn from the time man of the year it's not just a it's not just a burn for Elon Musk anymore that, that's right, man of the yeah, person, person of the year, Bert. So uh right, well we'll uh, see what we'll see what happens in 2022. Exactly. It could certainly be zombie uh BBB, but for now, RIP. DOA. DOA. You love to see it, Vic. We have a you love to see it today in the Atlantic. Yes. Running a piece called Where I Live. No one cares about COVID by one Matthew Walder, a uh, free beacon alum. That's right. And the internet's mad about this one too. So uh, what 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 did uh, Matthew? Uh... So Matthew wrote a lot of the things that we express on the show. As a couple of cranks, you know, you think it's just us, and it's all anecdotal when we talk about it. But this is a this is sort of a dispatch from the other side of the pandemic. As I always say, there's a par- there are parallel pandemics going on. One is in the media and elite class and not sort of on the East Coast and in mm-hmm. major metro areas uh, where people are, I would say, far more COVID cautious than they are in other parts of the country. This is a dispatch from rural Michigan where uh, Walder informs us that people just are not taking COVID into their daily calculations in the way that people do in the media class. And what's interesting about this piece to me is it's, it, it is an answer to the complaint that I have, which is it's fine if you view the pandemic a different way, but it is the COVID cautious sector to almost a neurotic degree is so overrepresented in media that you almost never hear this. And I was glad to hear it. But he says he's sort of poking fun at the ridiculous questions that people have to pose before holidays and he's telling his wife oh there's a piece called is it safe to go to thanksgiving dinner and she says is that from last year and he's like no it's a few days old and she says these people that's that's right um i think what is most interesting about it is the reaction is uh, andrew styles in the beacon has written about and giving a list of some of the comments people had they're outraged and i mean they are genuinely outraged by this and they're so angry at the atlantic for publishing it because you know who in the right mind actually thinks about this, thinks thinks like this, and they really do think it's some sort of alien foreign mentality that that somebody would not take this 
uh, as seriously as they do, where they are, you know, in a world of being double vaxxed, boosted, and masks. And well, they even had it before. And then, and, and, you know, the idea that you're going to treat something that for most people now is relatively mild and treat that as a mild, you know, flu is just incomprehensible. And so you had people who are horrified. And these are people obviously outside the beltway across the, across the Hudson River, you know, out of the big cities. But, you know, we've been told, I know you have, and I have too, about, you know, people are telling us that it's just us here. When we talk about you can't go anywhere and the masks and this and that, and it never ends. And that there's large swaths of this country where people have moved on and everything is actually yes. right. Because the cases might be going up, but certainly not when you look at the hospitalization because of uh, COVID and deaths because of uh, COVID. Those are, those are different metrics. And we were all supposed to agree, right? That the, uh, right. Uh, the me- hospital case numbers is a terrible metric. And he points this out, but of course they're all incensed. Yeah. And, and look, conceded that if Omicron in, indeed ends up being incredibly transmissible, right? Yeah. And it is mildish, but if it goes to a lot of people, like a home, like a then you can have more raw numbers of complications, even Heard if it's immunity. in mild form, right? Conceded. But what Walder and others are doing in other parts of the country is weighing the cost-benefit analysis, weighing That's their right. own risk, and acting accordingly. And most importantly, what he writes about in here is that his children were in a homeschool co-op throughout 2020. They saw other kids. They rarely masked. They con- they continued seeing friends and family, including grandparents and great-grandparents on a weekly basis. Now, you might make a different call depending on what the health of your grandparents or great-grandparents are, but I tried to make life normal for my kids in 2020 as much as possible yeah. to get them to see friends, to find find friends who had similar risk calculations and hang out with them and their children. I think that was worth doing. And I think protecting them from a virus that was not likely to be harmful, harmful for them would have yeah. harmed them more than doing what we did in 2020. But whoo, people are mad that people who made those decisions allegedly caused the pandemic to continue, which I do yeah. not think is that's a, what all, uh, is that's a what fair accusation. The comments. They're saying that this is why we're never going to, uh, this thing is never going to end because of people living out there and not masking. Well, I think we, a lot of people were sold a bill of goods that if we just locked down hard enough, everything would be fine. And I, it would disappear. It wasn't, it, There are places with very high vaccination rates, very strict lockdowns, and they're still seeing people getting it. And again, Vermont, a case in point, Vermont, I was just about where, where some, some have speculated that the reason that cases are higher is because on the first run through society, they didn't get any national immunity because they were right. so strict. That's and right. as a result, they're now sort of paying the price. Now, because they're highly vaccinated, the deaths and hospitalizations are not what they would have been, right? Likely. Right. Right. So, oh. no, I, it goes back to, it goes back to George Carlin. Just, you know, if you look at his, uh, the late George Carlin, the comedian, uh, and he has a whole riff on germs. You know, he was ahead of his time. And he talked about people who are, you know, constantly, you know, hiding and disinfecting from germs. And he said that, you know, your body needs practice with germs. Yeah. And if it doesn't get the practice, the, the the slightest little cold is going to kill you. So, well, and we, and we've seen in, in coming out of this, you've seen a lot of that with kids, the, I, you know, the RSV wave that we saw during the summer would normally have been the RSV wave of 
the winter where some you know kids would have gotten it, but it all sort of yeah. slammed at one time with a bunch of kids who hadn't been exposed. And it, it, that's the really tough virus on kids. But yeah, it's, you know, you love to see it. And I love to see some other journalists and the sort of the media class exposed to the idea that this is what a lot of the country actually looks like. Yeah. It, yeah. Shocking. Sh- shocking. Oh, do you know what we forgot to do? What? Nick? What? I was on a trip um, because I, I don't stay in my house. I was on a trip and had a Reese's with potato chips. Where did you find this? Uh, at a gas station in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so you said if I go down to the CVS, they might actually be selling it now? Maybe. This was a, this was a Wawa. Now, our... Okay. Our friend uh, Wawa, would, would tell you that yeah, the Wawa yes. is superior. And of course, that's why you found it at the Wawa. Yeah, you um, find everything there. Good soup uh, <laughs> and cheap gas. So, and, and, and I, you know what? Well, great sandwiches, also coffee, good coffee. But the sandwiches are great. And now they sell the Reese's with p- uh, potato chips. Is Reese's that what with they- potato chips. Okay, so it's a it's an oversized Reese's cup with potato chips layered into it we have spoken into about it on... is it in the filling of the peanut butter or is it throughout the chocolate like all blended no together? it's in the peanut butter filling okay almost like how is it pronounced phyllo dough phyllo yeah. phyllo dough it's like it's like layers of oh, potato chip really the... so actual so not like little crumbles not like tiny i'm picturing tiny bits. no it talking about whole chunks of potato chip it seemed layery yes wow in my in my careful inspection of it, it. Um, so it here is it. my review. My review is, meh. <laughs> I wanted to be there for it. I really did. I'm here for uh, salty, sweet. That's that's right up my alley. However, I think I don't know what it is that's different about Reese's peanut butter cup peanut butter from regular peanut butter because we discussed it doesn't oh, okay. taste exactly. We did. It's not the same. Yeah. I I don't know what it is that makes a difference, but. I, you could taste the saltiness in the Reese's, but I felt like it was, it just wasn't adding that much. And I don't know why it was crispy, which was interesting. Again, not sure about oh, the melty. preservative situation that allows it to stay yeah. crispy. <laughs> melty. Well, exactly. Well, you're going to have to, you're going to have to uh, get the, get enough muster the courage to look at the ingredients. It's just probably going to be a very long list of things. So did you find it? So you noticed it was like so, uh, sort of sweet, salty then it was very sweet, salty. Yes. I think the salty was very, it was a front loaded. And then there were, and then it was more, yeah, it was a, normal finish, after that. a clean finish. And then it was like normal Reese's cup after that with some uh-huh. crunch. If, if I had to choose between the p- potato chip Reese's and the one with, there's a Reese's cup with Reese's pieces inside. Yes. Give me the Reese's pieces one. You know what my theory is. My theory is there are too many ingredients going on here. Possibly. And as a result, it tastes like nothing. There used to be a place off of Duke street here in, in Arlington slash Alexandria Arlington. I guess that's Alexandria called I think it's still, no, it just, it just closed called generous George's. It was a pizza place and they had a pizza that had like, I like 20 toppings. It was like everything you want for it. Right. It was like everything on a pizza. And when I'm 23, it's amazing. And I can easily put that down. Okay. But the one thing though, was it tasted like nothing. Yes. Because everything's on there so it's like all the colors in the crayon box become that's exactly, not a color 
That's exactly right. So thank you for the Reese's review. Well, if, if you get a chance, go for the one with the Reese's pieces in it. You get the same texture and almost the same taste. And the, the texture to me is the, if, the, that's, the, that's the added value. If, if I had a choice, like in a movie theater where they have Reese's or they have Goldenberg's peanut chews, I'm taking Goldenberg's peanut chews. Thank you. I don't even know what that is. Is that a New Jersey thing? Maybe, maybe. Uh, well, our listeners will have to let us know if Goldenberg, if you've had a Goldenberg's peanut chews, it's delicious. All right. And to close us out today, Vic, and to mark the Christmas season, we have uh, Santa letters from 100 years ago, 1921. Uh, USA Today has, uh, has published a list of letters. What did we find in these letters, Vic? It's a lengthy list. Yes. It's a lengthy list. So the, the interesting thing is, you know, what are a lot of the things that come up a lot, right? That's the question, because there are some unusual things. Uh, I love the kid who asked for the Victrola, which yes. uh, uh, a friend of mine that he used to call me that as a nickname, Ed Walsh used to call me Victrola. And it's a, you know, it's the RCA with the dog. It's a, I would like a Victrola. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a phonograph. It's got its own little you know, speaker that's connected to it, you know, where the needle is and you can brought, you can, it's portable, it's portability and you could play the a record. Spotify of its day. That's right. I would, I would love a Victrola and just, uh, just to play music. So that was interesting. The, the, the for dolls, pop guns, food. That is what I think is interesting. I don't know how many kids today ask for food, except for me when I was a kid, right? I asked for, I, I asked for imagine. farms, but these kids, oranges came up a lot. And I wonder right. if it's because it was so unusual at that time for parts of the country. Obviously, you live in the South. It's not that uh, uncommon. But if you, you lived somewhere cold in the North, you know, to get an orange in December, you know, that would be an exciting thing. In 1921, maybe that right. was a big deal. I'm not a, don't send me fruit. And I get it. I get the fruit in the stocking, you know. And, I, I you know, Santa, Santa gives me the, or, the orange even now. And, and I'm not eating the, you know. I'll this is it. something my husband and I found out we had in common is that Santa always leaves us oranges and apples and has since day one. It's uh, and so Santa also leaves my children some oranges. I don't and know. You know, I, I think maybe Santa's trying to tell us we need to get healthier and get our vitamins. Maybe, in the maybe that's it. Do, I want to read you uh, some of my favorite. Yes. Letter. Dear, dear Santa Claus, I am a little girl, four and a half years old. I live on Anastasia Island at the Big Lighthouse. I have no little girls to play with. So please, Santa, come and bring me some toys for my Christmas. A kitty cart, a doll carriage, a large doll bed, and some nuts and candy. I am going to hang my stocking in the southeast chimney of our house, and my daddy will keep the big light burning all Christmas night so you can find the right chimney. So please, dear Santa, don't forget your little lonesome friend, Eloise Malloy. That is so wonderful. Nuts. Single tear, y'all. I again, again, nuts. Get me the nuts. He lives in the lighthouse. Eloise <laughs> lives at the lighthouse, y'all. Lighthouse. And that's that's a lonely existence out there, you know? But I hope Santa made it there and uh, got her uh, nuts and candy because that was candy. a thing. I guess, you know, I, I imagine, but you know what, though? I bet you the nuts were good because they were not into the whole health craze about the, the nuts that are nuts, you know, the ones that are just not, they're raw. You ever get those? Because you're using it. They're terrible. I try to make myself eat them. They're the worst. They were probably nice, salted, sugared, probably. lovely. You know? you know what my favorite 
kind of nut is, which is uh, controversial. Brazil nut. Oh, yeah. Come at me. I'm Come like, at me, everybody. Okay, it's yeah, well, delicious. I'm not, I'm not going there, but the... Uh, it's delicious. I always love hickory farms that's you know i i I can go i can go low brow i love the i love the big basket i love the beef stick and the funny thing is it became a running joke when i was a kid i was a big fan of that place and until until my mother passed away she would uh, for christmas there'd always be a box in addition to other gifts but there would always be a box and it was to me from santa and it's always a box of hickory farms and i don't I don't. I I bet my dad forgot about that. He probably wondered who did it. But anyway, I'll have to uh, get that for myself. So well, as we head into the Christmas season, just just remember to count your blessings, and uh, and remember Eloise Malloy, lonely in the lighthouse, <laughs> while you're with your family. Okay, okay, everybody. And that second <laughs> <Like a> privilege <laughs> wraps up another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. I'm at NK Hammer on Twitter and at NK Hammer Time on the Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to Getting Hammered. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. <laughs>